Hello, hello. Welcome to Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen. I am Rachel and I am in my Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen. This is a special long distance drive edition of Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen because I'm not going to my lifting class tonight. I'm going to Seattle, which is about two and a half hour drive from where I live. My gym might be closing which means I might be finding a gym that's closer to my house. So I might have to give up this stupid gimmick of recording in my car with all the background noise and stuff. But I hope not because I'm not like very creative and I need to figure out a way to be unique and cool and have a, a thing it's like, oh, this lady, she records while she's in her car. It sounds terrible, but she's really adjective. That means I'm worth listening to anyway. This is a special, extra special edition of Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen because this is like the third or fourth time that I've tried recording about this specific topic and it's just cursed. It's cursed. I've tried a whole bunch of times and something about the recording has been shitty every single time. It's not like I'm talking about something where like the universe would want to censor me, but yeah. So, okay. Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen. Here we go. The thing I want to talk about is the feud between Kenny Omega and Hiroshi Tanahashi right now. And I have recorded this a few times. I've recorded this. I, I recorded this before Kenny had his title defense against Ishii and before he had his triple threat title defense and before Tana had both of his briefcase defenses. So the good thing is, now I don't have to talk about the upcoming defenses that they have because it's set. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenny Omega are facing each other at Wrestle Kingdom. Historically speaking, the briefcase holder has never won at Wrestle Kingdom. There have been 12 Wrestle's Kingdom. There has always been a January 4th show at the Tokyo Dome, but it's only been called Wrestle Kingdom for 12 years. Wrestle Kingdom 13 will be January 4th, 2019, and the challenger has never won. There's uh, th there's so much to talk about here. I love this feud, and some of my friends hate it, and some of, I've seen people online who just hate it, and I freaking love this feud because it is a clash of ideologies. They themselves have described it that way. I want to say that I recorded Muscular Pro Wrestling Volkswagen well before either one of them ever described it that way, and I said that. Oh yeah, I did. But, you know, I can't really prove that now. But I did. And it was obvious before they said it that this was a clash of ideologies. The, for one thing, both of them represent something to the company. So any feud that either one of them is in will have this as an issue. Kenny represents westernization and kind of, I don't want to say modernization, but change in the form of something that is distinctly more sports entertainment-y. He has this very clear vision of what pro wrestling should be, and he is all about telling the stories. But he wants to have more supplementary information outside of the ring. So any feud that Kenny is a part of is gonna be in part about how much westernization should there be? How much change can this company handle? And what does that change look like? Tana, on the other hand, represents the old guard and tradition. Tana represents the way things have been done. And there's a very good reason for that. He is not a stick in the mud. And I'll talk about that in a second. Tana represents the soul of New Japan and what it has been for the past, let's say, 10 years or 20 years. The essence of the values that the company has very traditional sort of heel face stuff all of it's in the ring hard work and sacrifice yeah so let's talk a little bit about the ideologies that are at odds here first of all they're talking shit about each other they're saying all kinds of things about each other kenny is saying tana's too far in the past tana's saying kenny is too wrapped up in himself kenny is talking shit about hiroshi tanahashi's hair which is like unacceptable unacceptable okay if you are kenneth omega and you're gonna talk about hiroshi tanahashi's hair you need to look in the mirror and you should have plenty of mirrors around because your house is made of glass sir 
excellent healing. I believe that he is doing that to upset me specifically. And in fact, he is talking shit about Tana primarily in English. And in Japanese, he's primarily saying kind of standard, try my best, facey stuff. Uh, and also, I love Kota Ibushi. And that's not me talking, although I do love Kota Ibushi. That's kind of his thing. It's like, just so you know, I'm extremely gay and try my best. This is my dream sort of baby face stuff. But in English, talking shit about Tana's hair and talking shit about Tana's worldview. And as I said earlier, Tana is not just a stick in the mud. Tana came by that worldview very, very honestly. And the thing that is so fascinating about this is that this feud is, as a good feud should be, as a big culmination of the year feud should be, this story ties together the stories of both of their entire careers. So for Tana, let's talk about him. Each generation of wrestlers in New Japan has sort of had this unofficial top three, the three musketeers, they call them. And for Tana's generation, he was one of them. Tana is one of the big four right now, but the three musketeers right now are Kenny, Naito, and Okada, and Tana's still there, but he was one of the three musketeers from the previous generation. By the way, Tana doesn't think that Kenny should be one of the three musketeers, but I'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, Tana was one of the three musketeers of his generation. Was him, Katsuyori Shibata, and Shinsuke Nakamura. And he was at the top at a time where the company was in trouble. Internally, with fans, financially, it was in trouble. And they really needed someone. Nakamura wasn't popular with the fans. He was sort of like stardust genius Naito. Before Naito became El Ingobernable, he was stardust genius. And he was just a cute little sparkly baby face. I always say red Kota Ibushi because he was cute. He had the little shorts. They were sparkly. He did flips and stuff. But he just didn't stick with the audience. Same thing with Shinsuke Nakamura. They just didn't really want him. And this was pre- awesome red leather jacket Shinsuke Nakamura. So he just didn't gain traction with the fans. Shibata, as the company started to tank a little bit, left to try an MMA career. He kind of like left a sinking ship. So Tana was there kind of by himself. And I don't know to what extent this is true outside of kayfabe, but definitely in kayfabe and definitely at least somewhat outside of kayfabe, the story is that Tana put the company on his shoulders and dragged it single-handedly out of those dark times. He put himself out there to make the company more popular with fans. And he helped to get rid of the kind of like draconian toxic masculinity bullshit that was happening in the dojo, the kind of stuff that was keeping wrestlers from being happy and new talent from coming up. He helped to like, this is kayfabe. I, I don't actually know to what extent he was responsible for kicking out some of the old guard who were really still into that like very masculine and aggressive and shitty you have to suffer and be hurt and stuff to be good at stuff sort of thing but the story goes Tana got rid of those guys Tana got rid of that bad energy and he brought the company out of those dark times by himself and that's pretty much the story that New Japan tells, that fans tell, that the wrestling media tells, that is the accepted story. Tanahashi single-handedly saved New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he's not just stodgy and old guard. He has followed the super classic arc of a revolutionary hero sort of person, right? Like he was there, he found himself alone, he fought against authority, and he won. And the thing about when you fight against the man and you win, you become the man. Not just in terms of like the popular cool guy, although he was, you become the guy in charge. You become the authority. That's the point of getting rid of the old guard, right? Is to install something that you want. But of course, as happens in these stories, 
when the hero becomes the guy in charge, eventually he's in the old guard. Eventually, times move beyond him. And that's where Tana is now. Tana is still well-respected, talented. He's definitely not a wrestle dad yet. And by wrestle dad, I mean the older wrestlers who, you know, wrestle in the undercard. But he's definitely past his prime. He's injured. He has to take care of his body in ways that he never had to before. And it shows he's slowing down. That's not really up for debate. Even he is aware of that and he has admitted it. And... I think that he admits it to be self-effacing because he doesn't want to admit that he's slowing down. He doesn't want to admit that he's past his prime. He fought to be where he is. He fought to bring the company out of the darkness and make it into something that was partially his vision. And so now it is. Tana was the ace for a really long time. Tana's still beloved. He's not the ace as far as, you know, the top guy in the company, but Tana's still the ace of our hearts. <laughs> so that's where he is. He's not just old fashioned because he can't evolve his thinking. He's old fashioned because he fought for this. He put his career and his own life and body on the line for this. This is something that he invested his whole self in the way the company is now. So it's not really fair to say, oh, you just can't evolve your thinking. You just are too stuck in the past. He's not stuck in the past. He had to believe in this thing so fervently because otherwise he wasn't going to be able to bring the company out of the, out of the darkness the way he did. Kenny, on the other hand, as I said, kind of represents modernization and westernization. But Kenny also, as part of his backstory, has had to fight to be respected and get opportunities. Now he's on top of the world, but there was a time when Gaijin's foreigners didn't get the same kind of opportunities as the Japanese wrestlers did. Kenny is the first to have those opportunities in part because he learned how to become a part of the structure that Tanahashi helped build. And so Kenny's in this interesting spot too, where he learned the lessons. He became a champion in the way that Tanahashi wants someone to become a champion. He followed that route. He worked hard. He put in his time. He gave of himself. And he did it. He was the first Gaijin to main event Wrestle Kingdom. He was the first Gaijin to win the G1. And he, too, is credited with single-handedly bringing the company into a new era, and that is this era of worldwide expansion, Western expansion. And yes, it's a little shitty to say Kenny single-handedly did that because the things that brought eyes onto New Japan were Kenny's matches um, and Kenny himself, but a lot of that was because of the incredible matches that he put on, um, especially with Okada. It takes two people to put on an incredible match. But because Kenny is a Western face, speaks English, and is a Westerner, he is more identifiable and has that ability to bring New Japan Pro Wrestling onto this different stage. So Kenny, too, has the company on his shoulders in a way that should be identifiable to Tana. But it's not, because it's a way that Tana doesn't want things to go. So you have these two men who are very, very, very similar, actually. They should be able to see each other and have compassion for each other, but they don't. Because while Kenny is traditionally kind of a heel and Tana is the faciest face, they both have flaws. And one of the things I love about Tanahashi is that he's always been like, like his fucking catchphrase is, I love you. He is the baby faciest baby face. He plays air guitar concerts and kisses babies for 20 minutes after he wins the main event. But he has flaws. 
and they're out there for you to see. And Tana and Kenny have really similar flaws. They're both resistant to criticism, very, very unable to accept criticism, stubborn as hell, push themselves to the limit, and believe, because it's true, that they are carrying the company, that they have the weight of the company on their shoulders. And they both do, in a way. Maybe Tana doesn't as much anymore, and Kenny doesn't have the company on his shoulders in the same way that Tana did, but they do. The incredibly vast canyon of difference in the quality of their hair aside, they're really similar personalities. They both have really, really fervently held sincere beliefs about what pro wrestling looks like, about what New Japan pro wrestling should be, about what a champion should be. And they're both willing to put themselves on the line for that. So that's where we are. We have these two men who it's kind of hard to tell whether they actually hate each other IRL or they're just playing it up, but they say some catty shit about each other. There's no friendliness here. There's no respect here the way that, for example, with Okada, Kenny always says, Okada, you're amazing. You're the man, right? He doesn't say that about Tana. He says Tana's past his time. His leadership time is over. So there's a couple things that have been so deeply symbolic and awesome about the way this feud has played out. One is the way they set it up using the G1 final. And the reason that it's so cool is because of the four men who were there at the ring in the G1 final. So here's the story of the G1 final, right? Tana gets to the ring after making his entrance. And who is there? Katsuyori Shibata is there to hold the ropes open for Tana. This is incredibly emotional for a couple of reasons. One, Shibata had gotten injured at Sakura Genesis at the title match that he got for winning the New Japan Cup. And it was a career-ending injury. And it was kind of tragic because he had been working his way back up. He had left, as I mentioned before, to try an MMA career. It didn't go super well. And so he kind of came crawling back. And when he came crawling back, you can imagine how his old friend Hiroshi Tanahashi felt about that. Not great. Tana was really mad at him. Tana didn't accept him back into the fold. He quite rightly was like, I had to do all this shit by myself. Where the fuck were you? You left a sinking ship. So Shibata came back and he was slowly making his way back into the ranks. The match in which he hurt himself was a title shot for the big gold belt, the heavyweight title. He was starting to get those opportunities again. He won the New Japan Cup and that got cut short by that injury. Awesome match, by the way. I cannot watch it just knowing that that injury is the one that ended his career. It doesn't end the match, by the way. It just happens in the match and I just can't watch it, but it was incredible, very good match. If you can stand knowing that when Shibata does this stupid fucking headbutt, like pretty shoot headbutt on Okada, that's it, that's the straw. And it was, the reason it didn't end the match but it did end his career is because it had been slowly deteriorating because he liked to do stupid spots like that. So he was injured. And New Japan is pretty rightly private about their injured wrestlers. We weren't getting a lot of updates about Shibata. It was like he was able to focus his eyes. He was able to speak to his nurse. That's the kind of updates that we were getting about Shibata. So the message there, and you know, this wasn't explicit of course, but the message there was, we should be glad this fucker did not die because that was like it was, he can do a basic human function, you know, move his fingers. That was what we were getting about him. And then at the G1 final, after all the tag matches and before the singles matches started, his music drops. And it's such a beautiful moment. You should go back and watch it, the G1 final in 2017. The crowd immediately starts chanting and everyone's looking around because they're like, what the fuck? I'm crying. <laughs> like I just started crying right away. And there were people there who had like their the wrestler towels for some reason because they were just keeping hope alive. They pan over the crowd, people crying. And he comes out. He walks out on his own. 
we hadn't seen anything other than he can move his eyes. And he came out and he came to the ring and he did a bump because he's an asshole. He like fell on purpose and he took the mic and he said, I am alive. That is all. And, and I cried. That's one of the first times I can ever remember just sobbing about wrestling. So that was a beautiful moment. And of course, after that, he became the trainer for the LA Dojo. And so he's kind of back in the fold, even though he's never going to wrestle again. And he shouldn't because it's not worth his life. But nothing could more symbolize Katsuyori Shibata, you are back in the fold. You are loved by this company than him holding the ropes open for the Ace of the Universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi, at the G1 Finals one year after we found out that he was still alive. You can hear that I'm, like, choked up about it because I still think about it and what a beautiful moment it was and how emotional it was. One year after we found out he's still alive, here he is fist-bumping the Ace as he gets in the ring, Tanahashi himself accepting him. That is a story of a full circle right there. If Tana accepts you back, you're back right? So contrast this with Tanahashi's opponent, Kota Ibushi, who had been on a weird vision quest. He left the company in 2000, early 2016. He needed some neck surgery. He got his neck surgery, but he didn't come back right away. He flirted with WWE. He fucking shot fireworks off his chest and moonsaulted off a car. He did random shit with every wrestling promotion in Japan, pretty much. He cosplayed in DDT. He also cosplayed in New Japan. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was Tiger Mask W. I mean, in kayfabe, he wasn't Tiger, Tiger Mask W. He didn't come back to New Japan right away. He didn't know what he wanted. And he came back officially for the G1 last year. So here we are. One year later, Kota Ibushi makes his triumphant return for the G1 in 2017 and he makes it to the final in 2018. Another prodigal son whose road back to acceptance in the company has been through Hiroshi Tanahashi. First of all, he calls Tana a god. He named his new finisher Kamigoya in part after Tanahashi because he first used it on Tanahashi. Ibushi has been trying to make his way back into the fold and the two times he's had his chance both been involving Hiroshi Tanahashi. One was he had a title shot at the Intercontinental title at Power Struggle last year. And this year he was in the G1 final against Tana. And he lost both times because he's not back yet. He's not back in the fold. And of course, in Ibushi's corner is Kenny Omega, the IWGP heavyweight champion. In many ways, a mirror to Tana's story. Although neither of them would want to ever admit that. Kenny and Tana have followed similar paths. So there they are, these two innovators, these two champions, these two people who will have champion associated with their name, whether they have a belt or not for the rest of their lives, and the prodigal sons who are trying to make their way back in the fold, one who has done so successfully and one who hasn't. Two different generations, Shibata and Tanahashi are from the previous generation, Omega and Ibushi, and as I said with Shibata, Tana's acceptance of Shibata is everything. Tana is the company. And Tana does not like Kenny Omega at all. There was this great moment at the press conference after Tana won the G1. And Kenny, of course, was champion. And they were like, what do you think of Kenny Omega? And Tana just like was like, um, can you more specific <laughs> like he did not want to answer this question and he said you know he's really athletic I'm glad that he speaks fluent Japanese that's really nice but I don't like his pro wrestling and it's not all about him like yikes <laughs> that's really harsh especially given like Japanese indirectness and and sort of like not being directly critical of someone Tana does not want Kenny Omega to be the face of this company. Tana doesn't want this thing that he worked so hard for to be changed in this really fundamental way. He doesn't want it to be 
more Western. He wants it to be, he said recently, made in Japan. And I don't think Kenny wants to make it not made in Japan, although I worry about the new ownership and stuff like that. But Kenny, I do think, actually has that sensibility that that's what makes it great. But Tana's rightly worried. And it borders a little bit on the, like, come on, Tana. Like, he's playing into those early fears and insecurities that Kenny Omega had where he came to Japan, he didn't speak fluent Japanese, and he was just trying to make his way. He has had that insecurity with him for a long time and he's just started to move beyond it but it'll never leave him it's always part of him and you can hear it when he talks it's symbolized by the fact that he got back together with Kota Ibushi who mm, <clears throat> sorry let me back up here for a second and I just want to mention I don't know if I've said this Kota Ibushi's my favorite wrestler and human being he's an angel on this earth and i I did not know what love was until I saw Kota Ibushi do an amazing flip. Um, so I just need to kind of put that out there, make sure that, you know, that bias of mine is known. Don't really mention it that much on this podcast, but just wanted to say Kota Ibushi, my favorite wrestler, human being, heart of my heart, Kota Ibushi. Anyway, Kenny getting back together with Kota was a big symbol of him sort of getting past some of that insecurity because Kota was the reason that Kenny came to Japan. He says that. Kota represented Japan for him. And so when they broke up and he joined Bullet Club, which was a faction of people who fucking hated Japan, that was a very deliberate effort to cleanse himself of that horrible feeling where he felt like an alien and a stranger and a foreigner. And the only thing that ever made him feel like Japan was home was Ibushi. He couldn't carry those things together. Being back together with Ibushi, He's more embracing of Japan as his home now. But Tana knows that shit. Tana's not dumb and not oblivious. And Tana's playing into that right now. Like, Kenny won his recent triple threat title match, which I don't want to talk about. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about it. I'll explain why I don't want to talk about it somewhere else. If you want to hear, just let me know. But it should be obvious. Kenny won his triple threat. Tana comes out. Tana looks around and says, hey, kid. He literally was like, hey, Kenny-kun, kid. This is New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that borders on, like, wow, okay. Like, that is a great mirror to Kenneth saying, you know, the domestic talent needs to step up their game, that fucking bullshit that he was talking about. That is the opposite of that. That is Tana saying, this is new Japan pro wrestling, Kenneth. You will never be Japan. You will never be Japanese. This will never be your company. That's what he was saying. Like that, that's some real shit. Tana knows how deeply that cuts Kenny. He doesn't like Kenny. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't want Kenny to be the face of the company. He doesn't want Kenny to be one of the three musketeers. In fact, you know who he does want to be the third musketeer along with Okada and Naito is Ibushi. Ibushi has become this interesting proxy battle between Tanahashi and Omega. This is what was the catalyst for them getting back together was that someone finally fucking figured out, Cody finally figured out that the way to get to Kenny Omega is through Kota Ibushi. That was the beginning. That was the thing that catalyzed their finally getting back together. And since then, everyone who wants to get to Kenny Omega goes through Kota Ibushi. Tana really loves Kota. Like, there's this great interview last year at Power Struggle before he defended the IC title against Kota. And he was on Wonderland, which is their interview show. He kept being like, um, can we just, like, go back? I just want to talk some more about Ibushi. Like, I just want to talk, like, I just want to say something else about Ibushi. So relatable. Tana's never been more relatable to me. He thinks Ibushi is so talented, just so incredible, deserves to be the top of the company. And he's willing to say that, and he's saying it even more now. But Tana doesn't actually really get Ibushi. He is, like I said, that old guard 
he thinks Ibushi should put his nose to the grindstone and just put in the work and sacrifice and make this his life. Not really being willing to acknowledge that that is not the person that Kota Ibushi is. That's not a thing he will ever do. Like, he hasn't signed with New Japan because he just doesn't want to. Like, he wants... (laughs) He wants to win titles. He's made it clear that he is committed to New Japan, but he has not signed a contract with them, and that is a reason he will not be winning titles anytime soon. The person that Tana wants him to be is just never who he will be. The, the rise to the top that Tana sees for him is not a thing that he will ever do. And Kenny, for all his faults, knows this about Kota. And really the only thing that he says in this whole, like, using Coda against Kenny is that he loves Coda and he supports him. Since the G1 started, Tana's kind of upped his game on trying to get his vision more entrenched in New Japan. He's kind of taken this fatherly role, like, oh, Hangman Page, the Bullet Club doesn't appreciate you. Let me take the poison out of you. Come join me. Let me help you, right? Oh, Yoshihashi. Your talents are wasted in chaos. Do you want to learn how to be a better wrestler? Why don't you come with me? Oh, Kota Ibushi. Why don't you break up with that loser, Omega, and let me show you how to be a champion. That's Tana's thing right now. And of course, all of those people have rejected Tanahashi's offer, and not because they don't respect Tanahashi, but because they want to do stuff their way. And that's why this is great, going back to the G1 final, is you have the innovator and the prodigal son on both sides. And this generation's innovator and prodigal son don't want to fucking do it the way that last generations did. I said earlier that Ibushi calls Tanahashi his god or a god and named Kamigoya after him. When he challenged for the Intercontinental title at Power Struggle last year and he lost, there's this moment where he goes over and he Tana reaches his hand out to shake Ibushi's hand. And Ibushi, instead of shaking his hand, just throws his arms around Tana's neck and like cries. He always cries. And gives Tana this big hug. And it's this beautiful moment where he knows that he has further to go because he couldn't beat Tana. This year at the end of the G1 finals, Tana, of course, really respects Ibushi's talent. How could you not? He's like the most talented human being in history. I'm just being objective here. Tana was amazed by the match that he just fought. Goes up to him, reaches his hand out to shake his hand. And Ibushi looks at his hand, puts his hands up and backs away. And he later said, Tana wanted me to shake his hand. That's the way stuff should go. Kenny probably would have hit him, but I'm not Kenny. Implicit in that, of course, is I'm not Tanahashi either because Tana is the respectful handshake option. And he can't be my god forever. So Ibushi has made it pretty clear that all these people who have opinions about the way that he should do things, they don't really matter to him. Like he cares about Kenny, he loves Kenny, but he's going to do things his way. And Kenny mostly supports him. I think Kenny's protective of him, not in a patronizing way, but he sees that Ibushi is vulnerable because he won't commit, because he doesn't want to do things the traditional way, and he tries to bring him along. Tana thinks, hey, that's really unnecessary. You shouldn't have to pull him into your spotlight, Kenneth. He should have his own spotlight, and you shouldn't. But that's not how stuff is. Kenny does have the spotlight, in part because he played a game that Tana made the rules for, and he won. (laughs) And Ibushi doesn't want to play that game. So there's just so many layers to this feud. Tana represents the old guard here. And they had this press conference that was just like, it was tense. Like they were, they were saying some shit about each other, Tana and Kenny. You know, Kenny's staying, saying the standard like, you're over the hill, Tana, your thinking is backwards. Tana's like, this shit isn't all about you. This isn't for you, kiddo. And he brought up Ibushi again and said, he's too good for you. He shouldn't be with you. Kenny, sometimes he talks and I'm just like, I, I, I'm cringing out of my skin and I want him to shut up. But as I was feeling that, I was also like, this is really fucking fascinating because he was like, 
Tana wants things to be traditional. He wants there to be a heel and a face. He needs this to be good versus evil. Well, that's fine. I'll be the heel and I'll play that game, Tanahashi, because I'm still going to win, whatever, right? And Tana's like, uh, yeah, maybe you should do it that way because that's the good way to do things. So Tana's here like, yes, yes, let's have a heel and a face while being this gray character who is crossing lines when he's talking shit about Kenny, like deliberately saying like, hey man, your partner's too good for you. That's not a baby face thing to say. Like, you know, it might be true. It's not really Tana's business, honestly. Like, it's deliberately condescending and shitty. Like, if you insult someone's spouse to them, that is in no way a babyface tactic. Like, there's just no universe in which that's a babyface tactic. It's not even like, oh, I'm concerned about him. It's shitty. So Tana's out here saying, yeah, let's have this really, really obvious, like, put it all in the ring, heel face, whatever. I'm the ace of the universe. You're the bad guy. And here he is playing this, like, kind of morally gray person who has this really obvious clinging to something that is his entire identity is wrapped up in the work that he's done for New Japan. He's obviously clinging to that to the point where he's kind of saying some shitty stuff. Using someone's partner against them is just kind of like, that's not a thing that you expect a baby face to do. And yet Tana is the face in this conflict, but he's willing to be kind of a little gray. He has flaws that he's showing us. He doesn't want to admit it in kayfabe, maybe not in real life. I don't know. They're both very good at what you call the work shoot, which is when you're telling the truth but making it part of the story instead. Uh, kind of like kidding on the square, I guess. They're both really good at the work shoot. And Tana, Tana is here not really wanting to admit that what he's doing is exactly what Kenny thinks is a good way of storytelling, which is real human stories about people who have faults and are willing to put those faults out there. That's exactly what Tana's doing. He just doesn't want to admit it. It's so good. And Kenny, of course, doesn't want to admit that he got the success that he got by following the rules that Tana made. Oh no, I'm getting pulled over. Great. Okay, I'm gonna stop recording. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, I got a speeding ticket. Oh well. I should not speed so much. The the Volkswagen in question of muscular pro wrestling Volkswagen here uh, is a little bit of a little speedy car. And uh, sometimes your girl can't help burning burning the drivers of Washington and Oregon because let me tell you, they are slow and passive and they don't know what's going on. And I cut my driving teeth in East Coast cities, baby. Honestly, if I could pay like $350 a year for the privilege of speeding all the time, I totally would. And I don't get a ticket every year, by the way. I don't get a speed ticket every single year. But I would I would pay it. I would pay the extra $350 a year just to speed like a motherfucker. I mean, if I'm driving dangerously, you know, pull me over and stuff. But I wasn't. I was going fast. Oh, well. So just like with any good feud, rivalry, battle, each side is a little bit right. Tana's right that New Japan shouldn't give up its soul to become westernized. Kenny's right that they kind of need to do some innovation and get with the times in some ways. There's some ways in which New Japan is just delightfully anachronistic until like earlier this year, I want to say, they had these little cardboard signs that they would put in front of the camera instead of like putting up a graphic about what the upcoming shows were. They would put a little piece of cardboard, well graphically designed, but instead of making a graphic, they would put a piece of cardboard in front of the camera on the announce table that had the, the dates of the next shows and stuff like that. And that was delightful, but also like, you know, you can do more. 
and it's not a bad thing. It's it's like if you want to keep your little cardboard signs, that's fine. But there's there's so much more that you can do, and it doesn't lose the soul of the company to try it. And I think both Tana and Kenny's careers have been leading up to this moment. And it's not just because, obviously, like, this is a moment in the history of their careers. It's because Tana was the innovator who threw out the old guard, who brought in a new way of doing things, who then became the man, became the face of the company, the symbol of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and who has been struggling as he gets older, as he's lost the position of ace, to come to terms with that and figure out why he's still important. This thing is like his identity. So how is he still relevant if the company changes, right? If the company is evolving, leaving behind the stuff that Tana built, who is he? Why is he still important? And of course, we all know he's still important because we love him and because of what he built. He's always going to be important for that reason. But if you're Tana, you're looking at this and going, where do I fit in here to this thing that I built? And he's in this dad area where he's looking at all these young talents and going, you know, I think you should be doing your career differently, son. Let me help you in this condescending way that he maybe doesn't realize is condescending, but is super condescending. Like, these are all adults who can make their own choices. And one of those people is Kota Ibushi, who Kenny has just reunited with. Kenny, who came to Japan, felt like an outsider the entire time, fought and clawed his way to be accepted by everyone, including himself, including feeling like he was good enough, finally is at the point where he feels like he's good enough and has taken some ownership of the changes that he has been responsible for and the possibilities that he could create and has been creating and reuniting with the love of his life, Kota Ibushi. Now they're like a team stronger than ever, just as Tana reuniting with his friend Shibata was a, a big symbol of Shibata being returned to the fold. Kenny reuniting with his lover Kota Ibushi was Kenny saying like, this is my home, this is who I am, I am owning this. I am owning the person that I am, the thing that I want. And then Tana's like, hey man, I don't like the stuff you do. Like I said, Kenny got to where he is by following the rules that Tana made. Tana should love Kenny. He's talented, he speaks fluent Japanese, as Tana said. He's so undeniably talented. Even people who irrationally dislike him or rationally dislike him, no one really denies that he's extremely talented. And he worked his ass off to get there. That's all obvious, that's all out there. Nothing about that is something Tana should dislike. That's exactly who Tana wants Kota Ibushi to be, Kenny. Except he is Japanese. And as Tana said, this is New Japan Pro Wrestling. So Tana is representing everything that Kenny has had to overcome. And like, I know Kenny's shitty. He talks about the domestic talent, how they need to up their game and whatever. But he, foreigners in Japan, do feel alienated. That's why the Bullet Club was started originally. They kind of side-eye foreigners the same way we do or kind of low-key treat them like, well, you know, you live here, but you're not really from here. Foreigners get the same treatment in Japan. So Tana is out here representing everything that, Ta that Kenny has broken down within himself to get where he is, and there's no way that doesn't get to Kenny. Kenny's like, oh, it doesn't bother me. This guy's a loser. This guy's washed up, whatever. It does bother him. Tana is saying all of the things that are in the back of Kenny's head. Tana's saying them out loud, including your boyfriend is better than you. That is a thing that fucking haunted Kenny for years. <laughs> and I don't think Tana, I don't think that's lost on him. He knows that's what he's doing. It's so fascinating. And Kenny is here saying, yeah, this thing that you built thinks a lot. Anyway, I need to make it better. And so they're both just 
finding the one fundamental thing about who they are, about who they came to be in this place, and going for that. And they say they don't respect each other. They're treating each other extremely disrespectfully. But I think they both see that the other is great, capital G, great. And I think that they both, if they could get beyond their egos a little bit, they would really admire that about each other. But they can't because those egos are what got them where they are. It's so good. I love this feud. I love it. I could say so much more about it. And yeah. Oh, and also to add a wrinkle to this, I said that the challenger has never won at the Tokyo Dome. And I think this is the year. I think Tana's going to win at the Tokyo Dome. Story-wise, it makes a lot of sense for Tana to win at the Tokyo Dome for a couple of reasons. One, if Kenny wins this feud, then he's right that New Japan needs to change and whatever, Tana's washed up. That might be true. That might be a direction that they're going in. This might be the kind of crowning of Kenny as the new face of New Japan. But better would be to continue this struggle. Even if you're not continuing this feud between these two men, this question is going to be there in the company for a long time to come. How do we westernize? How do we modernize? What do we keep of who we are? What about us is made in Japan and what can we change? That's not just these two men. They just represent that. That's what the company is going to be thinking about for the next really long time because they have this opportunity. They're already the second biggest wrestling promotion in the world probably. And they have an opportunity to really, really, really step into that role. So this is going to keep going no matter who wins this feud. So for Tana to win would keep it going. It would sort of say, we still have these questions that are unanswered. Not only that, but where Tana is in his career, he's aging. He's like 42 or something. He's had a record seven IWGP heavyweight title reigns. Kenny has more in his future. That's almost a given. Usually New Japan will give their older champions one last ride with the big gold belt. And Tana deserves it for all that he did. Tana deserves to have that adulation one more time. He deserves to be the champion. He's still good, and this is kind of the last part of his career in which he's going to still be credibly good enough to beat the champion. So he has to do it soon. The other thing is, Tana is the aging ace, and he's watched the new ace break every single one of his records in line. The same way that he did, he broke every single record that people held before him. The only one Okada hasn't broken is number of title reigns, and he will. He just will. I think Okada has had three or four title reigns. He will break that seven title reigns record. But you know what no one could ever take away from Hiroshi Tanahashi would be being the first challenger to win at Wrestle Kingdom. No one could ever take that away from him. The ace of the universe, the man who dragged New Japan out of the Dark Ages, deserves something like that. Some sort of indication that he is special in a way that no one else will be. And that's what he wants to feel. That's what he needs to feel in order to let go with dignity and say, you know what, it's time for the younger generation to innovate in the way that they might want to. It's maybe not how I would do things, but that's okay because it's their turn. I did my thing. That would be the gracious way to age. And I think Tana needs to feel like he's going to have some kind of legacy. Him winning would also continue Kenny Omega's thing with like, well, I mean, I'm a Japanese citizen now. And like in kayfabe, like my, basically my husband is Japanese, but like, I'm not a real, I'm not great. I, I can't make it happen at the Tokyo Dome. I can't beat the ace at the Tokyo Dome. First champion to lose at the Tokyo Dome. That gives Kenny an underdog position that would be hard to achieve in any other way given who Kenny is and how on top of the world he is. And he'll still be on top of the world even if he loses. So I think Kenny should lose at the Tokyo Dome and Tana should have his one last reign with the big gold belt while he can still credibly defend it. And I also think that he should probably lose it to Kenny when he finally does lose it. I don't know. I don't like to make predictions. I don't like saying things like that. I don't like fantasy booking because it's, it's all just sort of a way to 
in my opinion, to kind of like wank about how much you know. And I don't really know anything. I'm talking specifically about storyline stuff here. I'm not talking about, you know, what would be a good like booking angle and whatever. I think the story would be great for Tana to win at Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm excited to see where this all goes. I love the generational interplay here. I love how they use the G1 final to set up this two generations with the innovator and the prodigal son and the relationship between those two, both of them coming back together after strife. And man, this is such good long-term storytelling. I love it. I love Tana saying that he just wants to like be a face and like kiss babies and stuff and he's out here being shitty to Kenny he's out here being being like yo your your man's is too good for you Kenny knowing that that is a thing that has plagued Kenny since the moment that he saw Kota Ibushi and and Kenny knows it now and where you might expect him to be like um no he's not um you know he's just like yeah he is he's better than I am I've come to terms with that <laughs> Like, that's not very heelish. That's not very self-absorbed, insecure heel. That's a real person. Just like Tana's being a real person. It's great. I love them. I can I could continue to talk about this. Maybe I'll write an essay about it because I just love it. And mean, you know, I'm a marketer. An essay is way more shareable content than this podcast of me talking. And also, this is going to take a thousand hours for me to edit. Anyway, love it. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm almost to Seattle. I'm going to my wrestling class right now. Woo! I'm so excited. Oh, ooh, this is actually muscular because I'm going to my wrestling class. Woo! Okay. Have a wonderful evening or morning or day. I know somebody was listening to this at work. Focus on your work. You are doing a great job. You're doing a wonderful job at your, your work. You're trying your best. I know this. I also heard somebody else telling me that they were listening to it in the gym. You are doing an amazing job, okay? You are getting those gains. Sometimes it's hard. It's not linear. But you're making it. You're doing your best every day and you're showing up, okay? So if you listen to this podcast somewhere, like that's not just, you know, in your media lounge or whatever let me know let me know what kind of encouragement you want that was gym encouragement and work encouragement if anyone needs some kind of encouragement please let me know i love you very much thank you for listening bye-bye